And now we turn our attention to the Old Testament lesson, which is also a prophecy from Isaiah, this time chapter 7. And in the words that I'm about to read you from Isaiah 7, God promises the people of Israel that there will be a Messiah will come and he will be born to a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson for this evening is from 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. And of course, on this evening, we are focusing on the love that God has for all of humankind. And this love is so manifested for us in the person of Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And Jesus came into this world to show his love for us, too, by dying on the cross. And because God so loves us, St. John reminds us that we are to love one another. So we read from 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for Christ, I invite you to rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel for this evening as we celebrate the nativity of our Lord is from St. Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, once again, I want to welcome all of you here to St. James, and, and Merry Christmas one and all. The text for this Christmas Eve sermon, as we continue to discuss the meaning of the colors of Advent and Christmas, is from Isaiah, the first chapter, verse 18, where the prophet Isaiah writes, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, and though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is our text. In the name of our Savior, who is Christ the Lord, what is the most popular song of the Christmas season? It may surprise you to learn that based on sales, it is White Christmas. Bing Crosby's version of the song in which he sings, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know, has sold over 100 million copies since 1941 when it was released. And 50 million other versions of white Christmas performed by other musical artists have also been sold. What is it about this wistful, melancholy song that resonates with people? Maybe it's just that. While other holiday songs promise a time of unmitigated joy and merriment, might it be that we recognize that fairy tale holidays are rare? Might it be that many people, as we discussed in this past Sunday's sermon, are feeling the emotional blues at this time of year because they're sad, lonely, heartbroken, depressed? and longingly wishing for Christmas's past when life was easier, less encumbered with problems, worries, conflicts, and cares. I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas was born out of tragedy. Irving Berlin, who wrote the song, was a Russian-born immigrant who didn't celebrate Christmas. Instead of making the annual trek to the manger of the Christ child, Berlin and his wife made a yearly pilgrimage on Christmas Day to a graveyard where their three-month-old or their three-week-old son, who died on Christmas Day in 1928, was buried. Jody Rosen, author of White Christmas, the Story of an American Song, said the deep secret of the song may be that it was Berlin responding in some way to his melancholy about the death of his son. White Christmas was also released at a time of national upheaval. Bing Crosby's first aired that song during the Kraft Music Hall radio show on December 25, 1941. Crosby sang this soulful, longing, and sad carol, and it resonated with the people of the United States. And why? Well, Pearl Harbor had been attacked just a few weeks before, 
And by late December of 1941, Americans were enlisting in the military in record numbers as the U.S. mobilized for war. The American soldiers heard White Christmas as a longing for days just like the ones I used to know. And those lyrics took on whole new meaning for these soldiers who were on their way overseas. Do you find yourself longing for those white Christmases that you used to know? Those uncomplicated days when we had not yet been scarred by self-inflicted sin and by interpersonal conflict, by unfulfilled dreams and mounting losses, by sickness and even death itself. No amount of sentimental crooning will dispel the loneliness and the sadness and the depression that we may be feeling this night. No dreaming of Christmas's past will change the complicated challenges that we're facing today. It won't relieve the pain and the grief with which we may be stricken because of our sin and its ongoing consequences in our life. Oh, there are certainly occasions for hymns of lament, but simply to mourn and to moan and to groan and to complain about our circumstances or to pine for or to dream of some nostalgic past hoping that it will return or to hope for some utopian here on earth isn't really all that constructive. And that's why when we get right down to it, the song White Christmas is a vacuous, hollow song. It's empty of hope, offering nothing substantive for addressing present issues that we're dealing with, and certainly provides no meaningful promise for the future. And that's why I would rather focus on a more meaningful Christmas hymn, filled with good news and hope, And so let's travel back a couple thousand years to a countryside, a countryside of Bethlehem where shepherds are tending to their flock. And a young mother named Mary wraps her newborn son Jesus in white swaddling cloths to keep him from being chilled. And then there's also the white glow of heavenly glory as the angel and the angelic choir descend from heaven to sing the celestial carol of a white Christmas. It goes something like this. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Yes, most importantly, nestled in a cattle trough filled with hay, all snuggled in white linen cloth, sleeps the long-awaited Savior of the world, who is Christ the Lord. Mary's infant child is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Lord, and that really is the miracle of Christmas. God becomes a human being, a man. And why? Why does God take the extraordinary action of becoming a human being? Well, the answer lies in one of the other titles given to the Christ child by the angel. He is our Savior. 
but our Savior from what? What do we need to be rescued from? Well, we need to be rescued, saved from ourselves and from our sin-infested, death-afflicted world in which we live. You see, the core problem that we face daily is sin. It's not a word that we hear too much about, except in churches, it seems, but sin is that inherited curse that's been passed on from generation to generation since the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Sin is the virus that affects all people and results in a 100% death mortality rate. Sin is the cause of our self-inflicted wounds. Sin is the source of the interpersonal conflicts that we have with other people. Sin is responsible for our intolerance and our hate and our dislike or maybe even of our fear of God. Sin is responsible for our death and potentially our eternal separation from God. And as we wrestle with our sin, and we may not call it by that name, but as we wrestle with our sin, we may find ourselves struggling with guilt. And we often then think of God as a disturbing, dark, and threatening presence who, keeping track of our every transgression and fault, looms over us with disaster and trouble. And our misdeeds are indeed many and grievous, but often you see our guilt keeps us from seeing the depth of this miracle of the enfleshment of God. Our guilt and shame prevents us from seeing the love that God has for each and every one of us. God becomes a human being so that he can address the problem of sin. And he does. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah writes, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's pause for just a moment and consider what's going on here. And let me read those words to you once again. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Here we have the Lord of glory, the one who created the heavens and the earth. He's offering us an incredible deal. God gives us a purified past and present and the promise of a glorious future in exchange for our scarlet sin. That sounds great, but we may wonder, well, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch. But there is no catch, you see, when God offers us the gift of his forgiveness. God's gift of forgiveness is free to us, but it costs God dearly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer explains, above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. It says in the Bible, ye were bought at a price. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Like red and crimson dyes, the stain of our sin is not easily removed from us. A repentant King David realized the depth and the degree of his sin, and he cried out in desperation to God, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Cleanse me actually literally means unsin me. Make me pure and holy in your sight, O God. 
And if this cleansing or washing away of our scarlet sin is going to happen, it must be God himself who does the washing, who does the cleansing, because he alone has the cleansing solution that makes our sins as white as snow. Now, would you think of the Christ child as a worm? Yes, you heard me right. Would you think of the Christ child, God's son, our Savior, as a worm? That's how our Savior refers to himself. In Psalm 22, a prophecy that depicts our Lord's death by crucifixion. Our Savior says of himself, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. The word translated as worm in Psalm 22 denotes not only a worm, but more specifically it denotes the crimson or scarlet worm that is common in the Middle East and predominantly found in Israel. And what is more, when the female crimson worm is ready to lay her eggs, which happens only once in her lifetime, she climbs a tree or a fence and she attaches herself to it. And with her body attached to that wood, a hard crimson shell forms. And the female worm lays her eggs under her body, under the protective shell so that the baby worms can feed on, on her living body And they do so for three days. And then after three days, the mother worm dies. But as she dies, she excretes crimson or scarlet dye that stains the tree or the wood fence that she's attached to. And it stains the baby worms with the result that they remain crimson colored for their entire lives. Now I tell you about this crimson worm. Because you see, there are some parallels between the crimson worm and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why he refers to himself as a worm of a man. You see, our God entered into this world as a baby boy so that he might ultimately be a crimson worm of a man. And why? So that he might be able to attach himself to a tree as our Savior, dying for us on a cross of Calvary, enduring his Father's wrath for our sin. And the blood of our Savior, unlike the crimson worm, doesn't turn us crimson red, but in fact his blood cleanses us and we become as white as snow. That is, we become pure and holy in the sight of God. And you see, that's the good news of Christmas, that God himself purifies you and me of our sin by the blood of his Son. What David longed for when he cried, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Jesus, the worm of a man, accomplished with the shedding of his own red blood. Listen to this word from 1 Peter, where we read, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as gold or silver, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb slain without blemish or defect. And hear these words from Hebrews chapter 9. How much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve our living God? I don't think we truly appreciate the depth of God's grace 
and his love for us and the radical nature of that love that he would become a man even willing to die for us on that cross until we totally understand the depth and the totality of our own sin or expressed in a different way until we comprehend the depravity of our sin and its eternal consequences the nativity of our Lord will simply be a charming Christmas story that rivals twice the night before Christmas as a Christmas time bedtime story. As long as we underplay the consequences of sin in our life, Bing Crosby's white Christmas will outsell the angel's carol of a savior who was born in Bethlehem. And that's why it's so important for us to acknowledge the reality of sin in our own life. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you may be a person who doesn't like the cold. You may not like the snow and you're quite happy that we're having a green Christmas but it's hard to deny how beautiful it looks to have everything covered with a fresh layer of snow. And that's one of the many pictures that God uses to help us understand the beauty of his forgiveness. We are as white as snow in the eyes of our God. But how long does snow stay fresh and pure? It doesn't stay white for long, does it? Soon it mixes with salt and sand on the streets and with dirty footprints and dogs doing their business. And before you know it, the snow is dirty again. And isn't that how it is with us in our lives? We who are snow white in God's sight, meaning that our sins are forgiven, we become contaminated daily by our sin. But how wonderful to know that God's mercies are new to us every morning. It's a blessing to know that Jesus' forgiveness covers us each day like a fresh blanket of snow. And it's this, knowing that our sins are forgiven by the blood of God's Son that helps us deal with the sadness that we're feeling right now. It's this love of God in Jesus Christ that helps us deal with the loneliness and our broken hearts, and the depression that we're going through. It can help us lay to rest the guilt and the shame of our past and our present sin. And it creates a disposition within us that works towards reconciliation and healing conflicted situations of, of loving one another, even as God loves us. And it helps us to have courage and hope amid sickness and death. God's forgiveness of our sins means that heaven's door is open to us. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John sees an image of people in heaven who are dressed in white robes. And he asks those in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And the angel said, they are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, we need not dream of a white Christmas because every Christmas is a white Christmas for us 
when we know Jesus as our Savior. White is the color of purity and holiness. And our Christmases are always white because we worship the Christ child who is pure and holy. And it's white because we celebrate the truth that though our sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow because we're cleansed, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And so, friends, may all your Christmases be white. May they all be white in our Savior Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.